Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Ice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. And it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk about the games that my guests and I enjoy playing. It's to talk about big industry events and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, I know the last couple of weeks we have not been talking bolt action. And I know that I've been getting some messages saying, where's the bolt action? Well, it, it is coming. Uh, in fact, it's coming right now. Uh, and one of the things that we often see when people come into bolt action or with bolt action events is events that play around a thousand points. That's the recommended point value for the game. I mean, that's what a lot of people play at. Um, but in the sometimes people like to play with the toys, and so they like to go a little bit bigger. 1250, for example, is another very common point value of game that people play. Now, there are lots of tournament organizers and event coordinators over the years in many different countries across the world who have played with that number. And obviously, you can always go bigger. But not always seen in bolt action in particular is what happens when you go smaller. Now, we've run a few smaller events here in Melbourne over the years, and so I'll have a little bit to add to this conversation. But recently, in other parts of Australia, we have had two excellent events, one with 24 players and one with 32 players that got significantly lower than 1,000 points. Joining me today are the gentlemen who ran those events and one of the guys who played in it. And I think it is without further ado that we introduce our guests. Of course, we have Craig, who was the recent TO of the Codswallop 2022 event. And we have Adrian, who was not only a player at Codswallop, but was one of the two TOs for Moab. Gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice. Thanks so much for having us, Brad. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Brad. It's it great to join you. It's great having you guys. Long time. I was going to say, at this point, I feel like on a, on a radio program that I should be saying, long time listener, first time caller. I'm just glad you listened. Thank you very much. Uh, it, it always, uh, I always get a little blushy when that happens. <laughs> um, let's, let's jump to, Craig, I have a thousand questions about Codswall. In fact, we're going to talk at length about it. But before we do, I want to talk a little bit about Moab. Now, earlier this year, uh, Moab ran, and that is a big Sydney event. And I was hoping to go this year, and unfortunately, life got in the way, and I wasn't able to make it. Although I bought the army, and it's sitting right behind me. Adrian, you are one of the two tournament organizers for Moab, and Moab has a long and storied bolt action history. Uh, I know my history with it is rather significant as well because I went many times, and the very first time I went. I ran into my Ghost Army podcast co-hosts, uh, Patch and Brian Cook. And had I not been at Moab, the Ghost Army podcast probably wouldn't happen today. What was it like? I know that coming out of COVID lockdowns, events across Australia were, you know, it, we had to build things back up. Um, Moab being one of the big shows and you being one of the TOs for it, what was that like, that process of sort of 
re-engaging Moab and getting the wheel turning again. And what was the event like for you this year? Uh, well, look, we were expecting to have a bit of an open slather as far as numbers were concerned. Um, but the, uh, the, the issue with the, uh, the numbers in the end turned out to be about a whole lot of stuff, uh, weightlifting equipment that they'd, they'd stored in the, in the facilities and basically they hadn't moved it off yet. So there was a whole lot of rooms that weren't available. So uh, early on uh, in the piece, we were like talking about only having maybe 18 people at the most. Um, and, um, and I think when we got out for that, uh, a lot of people went, oh, maybe I won't go or maybe uh, I'll do something else. So we, um, I think, you know, we ended up being offered a lot more spots. Um, I think 24. Uh, mm -hmm. We had one table in an outside room, uh, so we were pretty much at maximum. But, um, you know, my was like the big Sydney event. Um, well, it used to be until Codswallop. Um, but, you know. Spoilers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, you know, I would have expected maybe a few more, but um, they never turned up. So uh, it was, yeah. But it was a good event. We, I had a great time. It's the first time I've TO'd. And to be perfectly honest with you, I had such a fun time. It was such a good bunch of people. It was It was just, yeah, I can't speak highly enough of everybody that went. It was so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I, and I you guys my, did something. And you guys did something that a lot of other events in Australia don't usually do. And we see more in overseas events, which was, you guys ran an event that allowed tank platoons. We don't often see that down here, but to balance it, quote unquote, you guys also ran a smaller point value. You're running 900 points. Yeah, that, that was the idea behind um, the point value. So, you, I mean, if you ran 250 points, easy to get three big Shermans. Uh, and we didn't want that. We didn't, we didn't want to have that kind of uh, tank platoons. You know, I was thinking... You know, CB33s, FT17s, you know, all the crappy stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, that's, that's, pretty much, um, that's pretty much what we got in the end. We got a lot of um, tank platoons that were small little tanks that just ran mm -hmm. around the board, everybody having a lot of fun. Um, we also had uh, a little bit of cavalry. Um, which I think is probably the most ideal uh, <laughs> um, infantry to run with a tank platoon because you're, mm -hmm. you're not paying for for, for uh, transport. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was it was lower points. Uh, one of the other things that we had as well, besides tank platoons, is that we didn't have any restriction on flamethrowers. So if you could get as many flamethrowers as you wanted in your list. We, uh, you know, we allowed that. But having said that, everybody pretty much had one. Some people didn't, but, you know, everybody pretty much had one and there was only one list with, with two flamethrowers. So uh, one of the things that we made clear on that as well is that a lot of people play flamethrowers uh, point blank at six inches. Mm -hmm. uh, and we made it clear that those modifiers stack. So anything over three inches is long mm -hmm. range. Mm -hmm. And that's a stacked modifier. So long range, point blank, 
moved, you know, you're hitting on fours. Mm-hmm. So you've got a 50% chance. So it's a lot, it's a different, much different sort of calculation compared to hitting on threes. So, you know, unfortunately, I can't tell you how having a lot of flamethrowers goes because nobody turned up with them and mm-hmm. they certainly didn't win. Um, but actually, the two flamethrowers, I think one was a man pack and one was uh, Stuart, mm-hmm. was, uh, he was playing on the top table. He didn't win, but, yeah, it was, it was good. One of the takeaways um, that Ian gave me was that the top four tables were tank returns. So we're not 100% sure whether it was a, you know, whether it was a great format in that sense. Uh, I, I don't know how otherwise you'd get all those little tanks in there, though. So, yeah. you know, I, I, but having said that, you know, those players on those top tables, I mean, they're really experienced players. They know how to build a list. Given the opportunity to run tank platoon, they'll run tank platoon. I mean, you give me an opportunity to run a tank platoon, you know, 600 points. I want a tank platoon. I, I just, I like the mechanics. I like the way it works. Um, and another thing that we did with Moab was we we also let people know uh, uh, when people were sending their lists in, I said, I told everybody, there will be tank platoons. You can have as many fun throws as you want. Make sure everybody's on the same page. I didn't get many list changes. Um, most people were pretty happy with uh, taking what, you know, what they'd um, thought up in the first place. But, um, you know, the takeaway at, at 900 points was, uh, you know, they're fast, fun games. Yeah, exactly. And I, look, I'll be honest, my, the list I was going to turn in, and I think I even ran by you guys, was a tank platoon. So yeah. go figure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One, one of the other things with, with tank platoons, and we, we did we did try and um, sort of hamstring them a little bit. So we had a lot of um, objective-based games. We had more objective-based games. And um, uh, tanks weren't even allowed to contest. So you had to have infantry to contest or to mm-hmm. win the objective. Um, and um, we had a lot of terrain on the boards. So there wasn't these massive line of sights. We had city tables. I mean, the table that I, I took was a very um, dense city table so you know move turn you're going to get stuck down the street you mm-hmm. make one long move with your, with your tanks you're buggered yeah but having said that you know i think uh ian ian played uh my cb 33 platoon in that and uh and he yeah he crushed crushed his opponent unfortunately <laughs> that was the buy now Ian was your TO and he's run many events like tank busters and other things, correct? Yes. Yep. He's very experienced. Fantastic TO, fantastic guy. Um, it's pretty easy. He can't be on here tonight, but um, hey, you've got me instead. So Exactly. And spoilers, you're actually, oops, sorry. You're actually well, not here right, to talk yeah. about Moab at all. You're here to talk about something else entirely. And I'll take that as the segue that it is, boys and girls, and jump to Codswallop 2022. 
Craig, can you give us the rundown, just a ballpark? What is Codswallop? And because it's a hell of a name, but this yeah. isn't the first year this event is run. No, we, we've been running this for um, for three years. Um, we ran it all through COVID. Um, and uh, and that was a real challenge to try and put a tournament together during the COVID years. But our, but our club was, um, and, and just to give a plug for our club, it's uh, Western Front Gamers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we operate out of West Ride in Sydney. And um, uh, at that club, we, we've really tried to, we wanted to put an event on that was uh, still keeping things ticking over during those difficult years of COVID. And so when lockdowns weren't on, but we were able to operate with some restrictions, we, we still managed to get 20 uh, odd players uh, adequately spaced, wearing masks with hand sanitizer, all those kinds of things, but still being able to play games. And, and, and that was a key thing that we wanted to try and do during that. But the, the original genesis of, of Codswallop is I, I'd gone to, um, to Moab, I'd been to CanCon, and um, I was kind of getting a little stale and, and I haven't been playing uh, bolt action for, forever. And, I'm, and, and honestly, I'm probably not a very good player. Um, but uh, at, the, at the end of the day, I was kind of getting a little stale with the same old cookie cutter format of things. And so every year when we've run it, we've tried to do something a little bit different with the themes. Uh, so uh, one year we had um, uh, weather effects in play. So uh, it might have been a game where there was fog and mist uh, in play. And so, or being, uh, I think uh, actually the first year it might have been, um, that's what it was, we had dawn. Uh, so the first games were being played mm-hmm. with uh, sun coming up. The last game was being played with the sun going down. And awesome. the middle game was played middle of the day. And we just tried to do something a bit different using some of those optional rules um, to try and give it a bit of flavour and also to encourage players, I guess, to, to think a little bit differently in their games. Last year, yeah. we, we switched to uh, weather effects. So we, we switched to, you know, uh, fog and mist. Um, and if it, was a sand, if it was in the desert board, it would have been, you know, sandstorm or something like that blowing up. And, and a couple of those kinds of things, just to try, again, try and get people to think differently about their games. Uh, last year also, I'm, I ran it with all objective-based games. So I, I, um, part of the, the entry fee for people to join last year got them a set of five objectives with the Codswallop logo on there. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we gave those to everyone and, and every game involved objectives. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, let's talk about one of the reasons why you're here, obviously, besides talking about Codswallop is, wait, how many points was this event? Uh, Codswallop yeah. was the smallest point value bolt action event that I know of off the top of my head. And it was, you were allowed to bring one list, not two platoons, one platoon of 489 points. And as someone who just ran an event with 911 points, I think that's fantastic. Um, now that is cool. Why pick 489 other than just to make people, uh, you know, think real hard yeah. about what they were taking. Well, yeah, I guess the, we were umming and ahhing for a little while as to, to what to do here. Um, and uh, my, my initial thought was around 750 points. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'd been listening to uh, the guys uh, uh, from the US, the, the, the Snafu mm-hmm. uh, podcast, and uh, they talk about uh, their Recon Rumble. They, they play mm-hmm. and it's usually around that sort of 700. And I thought, that's a, I like the feel and the sound of that. Um, and so um, what we decided to do, though, in the end, after sort of a bit of throwing the ideas around amongst a few people, we came down to closer to 500 points. Yeah. Um, and then 
ended up landing on 489 because it just happened to be the number of Tiger 2s that were produced. Oh, <laughs> I love it. That's why it was, it was, that was the only reason we chose that number was uh, the book, uh, the Armies of Germany book says 489 Tiger 2s. And I've mm-hmm. got a feeling that might have even been Adrian's suggestion when I, I threw the ideas around was uh, that number being, you know, I said, I'm thinking around this 500 and I was bouncing the ideas off a few folks. And 489 got raised as being that. I thought, bingo, that works happily. And it was interesting sort of thinking about that sort of low points value. Um, so the previous years we'd gone with 1,000 points um, mm-hmm. was the first year. The second year was 1,030 points. The reason I put the 30 on was we made it mandatory to bring either a, a chaplain, a medic, or an intelligence officer. Love so it. you had to have one in your, your list. This year we decided to switch it up. And instead of having weather effects and things in play, make it that smaller list. And and the thinking was that we wanted to try and make it available to as many players as possible. Because right. if you just bought a starter set, you've got enough probably for a 489-point list. Mm-hmm. That was that was kind of the thinking there. Um, you know, if you've if you've all you've bought is the Band of Brothers set, you know, and you might have picked it up off eBay or or from Warlord if they were still selling it at, at that point, uh, then that'd be more than enough for you to 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 put a 500 point list together. So that was kind of the thinking there. Um, we put a, a few other things in place to try and um, uh, change the thinking. You can, I can see them on on the list there. You know, like all the standard stuff about no tank platoons. I mean. 489 points probably wasn't going to be enough to put a, a tank platoon together, although I'm sure Adrian would have found oh, yeah. a way. Mm-hmm. No problem at all. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. There we go. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we decided um, in the end, I guess, the uh, just a couple of restrictions in there, but I guess some of the key things was around the no free units. At that level of, yeah. of game, it was really going to unbalance it that if all of a sudden someone gets a, a free squad of uh, of uh, soldiers in their Indian Army or their Soviet Army, mm-hmm. um, or if uh, extra knights would have um, would have made a big difference. You know, I mean, yeah. what was the highest dice count? Nine dice. Uh, yeah, the highest dice count was nine. And the yeah. average was what? Seven. Average was seven. Lowest was five. Yeah. So, um, so, um, and I guess that was the thinking was to try and break the mold. A little bit of, of what people bring. You still had to bring your standard, um, you know, officer and a couple of squads. But we didn't also allow people. We didn't force people just to stick to um, generic reinforced platoons. And and that's been something that um, I found frustrating for myself. Uh, there's a lot of really good um, units out there um, and good lists uh, out there in the various campaign books. But you go to an event and most people say, "Oh no, it's got to be generic reinforced platoon." And I. Mm-hmm. I was frustrated as a as a British airborne player, but I always wanted to take this cool list with lots of jeeps or you know or, or something different. And it's, oh, sorry, that's not a generic reinforced platoon. Um, and so it, that's what sort of allowed me to say to people, well, I think they should be allowed to bring theatre selectors, but I reserve the right to say uh, not that one. You know, if, right. if you submit it to me, you know, I'll look at it, for, judge it on its on its value, and and but by and large, I didn't want to say no to people. Was the thinking. Now, you also put in there a rule um, that I know some people overseas will find interesting. That is that officers must have an experience level of at least half of their platoon. So you can't run the all-veteran platoon with the inexperienced officer yeah. in, in your event. Yeah, and, and that was exactly uh, what we were trying to, to avoid. Mm-hmm. I didn't want people to be all gamey about the low points value, try and 
you know, squeezing, uh, squeezing the cheese. And there was a couple of people that missed that rule initially on their submissions and we had to go back and just say, hey, mm-hmm. you, you missed the thing about the, the experience. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a historian probably more than I am, and I'm not much of a historian either, but I, then I'm a gamer. I love reading the history and yep. things. And, uh, and so for me, um, I don't like the idea of, oh, I've got this one platoon of guys and there's, you know, a bunch of Maoris and there's a bunch of South Africans and there's a bunch of Australians, and there's a bun- bunch of this, and they're all together under an inexperienced officer uh, and it, it, it's a bit too gamey. And I didn't come from that background of, of uh, the other games uh, that are out there that are, uh, are super gamey and, and it's all about sort of building a, a perfectly min-maxed list. Um, I'm, that's not my background in wargaming at all. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to uh, try and force people to be a bit more thoughtful about what they bought. Yeah. Now, you also said no vehicles over – sorry, vehicles can only have a maximum armor of 8+. plus. Um, so even like your Shermans wouldn't be allowed for this event. Medium yep. tanks were out. Um, yep. And you have the rule that I believe originally comes from the Jugger Pack, but is also being used to CanCon this year, which is that MMG teams provide suppressive fire, as in they score one automatically, one automatic pin um, yes. when they're firing on a non-armored vehicle. And then they do an additional pin should they succeed in actually hitting them. Um, yeah. Those are both, again, um, pretty big changes uh, as far as what people can bring and how they operate on the table. Uh, any particular reason you chose, though, other than what I've said? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, the, the MMG rule, uh, absolutely. We, we wanted to – my, my feeling is that um, MMGs are, are not priced right for what they do in the current version mm-hmm. of the game, and I think that's a commonly held view that, uh, that – they aren't great value for what you get. You know, I could, I could for the yeah. same price, I could put a, a twin MMG on a on a recce jeep, and I'd, I'd be more than happy with that. Um, so we wanted to put some value, and we wanted to try and reflect that a little bit in the, what the MMGs were doing. Uh, so that was the first thought in, in putting that together. Uh, last year, I tried out the D three pins on MMGs, mm-hmm. and we go there, and that seemed to be reasonably well accepted. We wanted to try something different this year and and, and mm-hmm. see how that juggle went. Uh, on the vehicles, it was really about saying to people, if, if things aren't eight plus, I don't need to be loading up with Panzerfausts and, and Panzerschrecks and, and yeah, too much anti-tank. And it would encourage, mm-hmm. hopefully, people to bring some tanks that weren't usually seen or some vehicles mm-hmm. that weren't usually seen. And we did get to see a bit of that. Uh, Adrian had a, um, a little Polish tank, which was very cute. It was about the size of a um, uh, much bigger than my thumb. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they are tiny. TK yeah, tank yeah. with a twenty mil auto cannon on it, and mm-hmm. then oh, the Vickers with the twin turret MMGs. Uh, and it was great. I love running those two vehicles. I only got the Vickers got destroyed once, and the TK got um, disabled once, and that was it. So yeah, it was that. It was a lot of fun having those vehicles. I mean, when I saw the points value, my first thought was. Um, how it's a Sherman. Mm-hmm. Um, well, obviously, I saw the eight plus armor, so I couldn't do that. Yeah. So, uh, and and look, I think there was one good thing about that, uh, which uh, at CanCon they're having the open top uh, pinning rules. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, if if Craig had done that, we would have seen a lot of um, open top heavy howitzers and that kind of thing. And I mm-hmm. think it was. Um, because 
I mean, it's infantry, right? And you get something like that, it's going to be munting infantry. Uh, some people are going to have a bad day. Codswallow, I think, is probably the most, this year, I think, was the most user-friendly event that I've ever been to. It was, you know, Craig's, he's been talking about, you know, not being a gamey gamer, and he always talks about wanting to have an event where everybody's going to have fun and, and you know, new players can come. Everybody talks about wanting new players to come along and, and do it, and there's a really fine balance between having um, having competitive players come and play the event and and people who aren't so competitive um, coming mm-hmm. and playing the event. And at this point's value in the pack that they put together, I think just really hit that balance really, really well. Because um, uh, honestly, it was anybody's it was anybody's day, wasn't it? Until yeah. the very last. The, the, the top three players all ended on three wins and a draw. Uh, so it was, it was four games, 90 minutes each, um, and the, the top three players were all three wins and a draw. The difference was how well they won their games when they won them. Uh, and Adrian came out on top there, um, but we all we, we saw um, you know some really interesting and open games that really I mean at, at the end of the day there were uh, four players that all could have won the game, all could have won the tournament, uh, and that was uh, what you wanted after four games. There's there's two tables running, who's going to win this? Who knows? You know how it's going to go, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. Yeah, when you see that happening, um, yeah. and we even saw some people that. We've had one guy turn up to our, our tournaments. Big shout-out to Alex if he's listening. Um, Alex is uh, a guy that's been to Codswallop for three years now. Uh, the previous two years, he hadn't won a game. Uh, he's fairly uh, – he's been playing for about three years, uh, mm. I think, three, four years he's been at our club. And uh, he loves playing. He's so passionate about um, getting in and playing. Uh, and uh, he got in – he got a draw. He got a win. Uh, and he got a special prize, and we'll talk a bit about prizes later. But uh, he went home a happy man. He came running over to me um, when he got his first win and was like, Craig, I won, I won. And it was honestly the, the best thing ever of the day was, was awesome. seeing him so excited that he'd, he'd won a game. And, yeah, that's what it's all about. We wanted to see people turn up. I mean, I think, honestly, the best three players on the day were probably there in that top three. Uh, that That's what it's all about. But. Everyone else was competitive. It was very close across the, the, the tables. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want. That is what you want. Well, you did something else really interesting with list submissions. You said that players must indicate what year and theater your force is representing. Uh, you required people do some historical background for their forces, which I know is going to make some people twitch overseas. Yeah. However, I think that's fantastic. Um, how did that play out uh, as far as at the event? You saw the list that were coming in. You had 32 players. So there yeah. were 32 lists that came in. Um, I know that some people will probably have gone down historical rabbit holes and made that, you know, a really you know, a big theme of their force. And other people would have probably done the old uh, high school book report version and, you know, written a couple sentences and stuck it on the front. But still, you don't see that too often in an event. Uh, did how did that quote unquote restriction go down? Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it's actually a restriction I put in the year before, and uh, the year before it was really well uh, taken on. Everyone really got into it, and, and I, people were submitting like mini essays 
which was fantastic. And one of the mm -hmm. prizes we gave uh, last year was actually for the best themed force. So we actually just, you know, it was, it was up to uh, myself and Paul, who was the other TO uh, last year, to, to judge on which one we thought was the, the best themed, historical theme that went in there. This year I left it in there uh, and the, the thinking was initially that I wanted to uh, award an early war, mid-war, late war kind of along those lines. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that coming up in the players' pack when we get to that discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't quite work out that way because at 489 points, there wasn't a lot of differentiation because the, the, the big cats weren't at play, the, right. you know, the, the, all the special toys. Yeah, at 489 points, you've got to think really hard about the way that you, you start to incorporate mm -hmm. those assault rifles or, or uh, Panzerfausts or Panzerschrecks and things. And do you actually need them? And so we ended mm -hmm. up changing it out. Having said that, though, uh, you're exactly right. We've got some people that was uh, uh, mine as a, uh, a list about late war invasion of, in Normandy. Great. You know, a couple of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, there were a couple of people that really went down the rabbit hole and and uh, and showed up some really great historical thinking around uh, what they had, um, which was fantastic. There was a guy that actually he came last year. Um, he he actually themed up a list last year around uh, his grandfather's force, and he told us all a story. And then he turned up again this year. He didn't win the themed event last year, uh, but this year he turned up again because last year he forgot to bring a little prop with him and he actually brought it with him this year. Adrian, I don't know whether you saw it. Um, a guy called Craig, he brought along. talking about, though. Um, you did see it? No, I didn't, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he, he brought along a wallet. Uh, his his father, his grandfather was in the, uh, I think it was in Tunisia, uh, fighting with the British, uh, and he got shot in the chest. Uh, but he had a, a little wallet that he was carrying in his chest pocket, which had some coins in it. Uh, and in that wallet was found embedded the bullet, the round that, that went against the coins and bent the coins. And so he actually brought the wallet along with the hole in it, with the coins and with the flattened out round, um, wow. which was really special to see. So some people really love that history stuff. And when, yeah. like I said before, I'm, I'm a historian. So, so that stuff's just awesome. He was showing that very proudly off to people all day. Um, so... I love it when people start to think really carefully about what they're actually putting together. And so this is all about trying to create a bit of a mindset of I can't just throw together anything that just fits so that I can get fit points in, but I can actually mm -hmm. have to think a little bit more about what was in that force around that time. Honestly, I was never going to audit it and say, oh, you can't bring that because they didn't have those then, but it, it's mm -hmm. about trying to get that, that thinking. Well, you also had another addendum to the player pack that leans into that, which I thought was awesome. And I know uh, our buddy Dan from Valhalla Games was running the list that you were talking about earlier with the British paratroopers at Moab in all the Jeeps. And it yeah. was in that he had a German autocannon half track that they had commandeered on the day. Now, for this event, you said historically themed uh, substitutions of equivalent or identical stats may be arranged in advance with the TO for pre-approval. Um, of course, this said again, again, this isn't to cheese out your list. This is to help lean into a particular uh, yeah. list. Did many people take you up on that? Because that is something no you one. don't see every day, and it's yeah. awesome when it's done right. Yeah, no Not one really took it up this year. Sorry, Adrian? Not enough points. No. Yeah, true. <laughs> That's right. It, it made it a bit narrow. So no one really took that up this year um it's uh yeah I, i'm all for just trying to get them to put those things out there to to 
I want to see cool things on the table. I want, I want mm-hmm. to see you try things. Um, the interesting uh, other thing with the, the years and trying to get people to think about the theme is it allowed me to try and make the first round a little bit historical. Mm-hmm. So I, I tried where possible to historically match opponents and to um, then also um, put um, uh, them on a table that matched, if I, if I was able to, their theme mm-hmm. in, uh, in, on, on that day. So um, the photo we're looking at there um, is actually from last year. Uh, it was a, a, a submarine dock, um, this table. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, playing on that, for example, was it was like considered to be like a late war German list against a, um, I think it's an American uh, platoon that, that came in there. So it was, you know, we tried to pick them on you know, something that might have looked like the kind of uh, terrain that they might have. I mean, these things are always, you know, substitutes. But that was the aim was to try and make it a little bit easier for um, arranging the first round so that you were going to get historical matchups. Not always possible because when, you know, for example, I only got one Soviet list in the in the whole thing, and there was a whole bunch of people with Eastern Front armies. But what can you do? With that point level, I would have thought Soviets would have been everywhere. I was very surprised that only one Soviet list. And I've got to say, it was a very, very cool list too. Um, uh, I want to call out to the person who put this one together. This is uh, uh, the player's name was Eleanor. That's right. Mm-hmm. We had a lady playing at our um, at our thing, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. She came along. Uh, she lit, she uh, fielded a, a Soviet list that was all women. Oh, nice. Using, um, oh, why can't I think of the name of the manufacturer all of a sudden? I can't um, think of it either. Oh, I'm going to kick myself. Uh, she does such wonderful work out of the UK. Uh, ooh. Yeah. A- uh, Annie? No. Ooh. Anyway, we'll talk. Yeah, Annie, um, the company's name. Either. What is it? I can't remember it. Either. I think uh, we're all having a buy. Dad's widow. Dad's widow. That's it. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, Dad's widow. She does awesome models. I was looking through her Soviet range, uh, seeing if I could get some Soviet sailors to add to my existing Soviet sailor force, and no, they didn't have. At least she doesn't make the models for Soviet sailor women, uh, but I will need to look that up. Um, well, let's talk so prizes. Really, so I was going to say um, that was Eleanor's first uh, tournament. And uh, if you come oh, to CanCon, yeah, I was going to say that was Eleanor's first tournament, her first painted bolt action army. And and if you come to CanCon, I'm fairly sure it's going to make an appearance there. Brilliant. Oh, man, I love a good theme. And that is a cool theme. And to be the only Soviet army, that's amazing. Mother Russia. <laughs> well, let's talk about prizes. We have mentioned a couple of times that there were prizes for this. Um, talk us through, my man. Yeah, so so this is what I put in the players pack, and this is one of those things that um, it's really difficult. I, you know, people ask what prizes are you going to give, and I put something in the players pack, and then we ended up changing because in the end, uh, the the uh, early war, um, uh, late war general thing didn't really work out, um, mm-hmm. and so that ended up getting canned. Um, we we went with a best painted force, so we um, well actually we we changed that from best painted to. Um, we do call it Hannah Swag, as, as it's called. Mm-hmm. But we just said to people, we made it an open vote from all the players to um, vote on which army was the coolest. You might think cool is by theme. You might think cool is it's unique. You might think cool in the fact that that has an outstanding paint job and a brilliant display board. Um, and and so that was um, uh, one of the prizes that we uh, that got put out there. Uh, then we basically did our, our first, second, third. Um, and, of course, our, our wooden spoon. We had to have a wooden spooner. Um, 
but at the same time, uh, everyone went home with something. And I think this is one of the key things that we wanted to have inside COD's wallet is for your $30 entry fee, uh, you were going to go home with a, a decent prize. Uh, mm-hmm. You were going to uh, go home having played four games of bolt action um, and in a, in a good, friendly environment. And, and uh, that's one of the things we really tried to emphasise there. There's no win-at-all-costs mindset. It's, it's a good, friendly environment. Nice. And uh, and the third thing was that we uh, wanted people to go home having had a meal. So so that was sort of the for their thing. So so that everyone got something out of it in terms of feed and uh, and a prize. So we had our first, second, and third. And um, Warlord Games got behind this uh, event. Uh, this was mm-hmm. a Warlord Games sponsored event. Uh, as such, we had um, for the first, second, and third prize winners, we had um, uh, the silver order dice, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, um, the three people that went home with them. I, I might as well run through them. Uh, Adrian, of course, uh, winning. Um, hey. So he's got his silver order dice. Uh, Aaron Russell, um, you might know him. Uh, I think he, he took mm-hmm. out CanCon last year from Aaron, this year. He did. Gold dice from CanCon, uh, from um, Moab. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's getting collecting the full set. He's got, Sorry? He's, I was saying he's collecting the full set. He's got the gold ones and the silver ones now. So, uh, And Aaron's a great player. And uh, the last person, uh, third place was uh, Isaac. Um, who was my son? Uh, oh, Isaac awesome! Yeah, so uh, he um, he's been uh, plugging away for a number of years. He took out uh, Tank Busters earlier in the year, and he's he's been on the on the rise, and uh, he's he's super keen. So he will also be at uh, at, at CanCon uh, this year. And, mm-hmm. and his list was interesting in that it, it, we're heading down a rabbit hole here, but his list uh, was interesting in that it, it brought a. Uh, uh, is it a wasp? Yeah, a wasp. The um, mm-hmm. uh, universal carrier with the flamethrower mm-hmm. for 89 points. So uh, it made an interesting uh, little foe out there and, and attracted a lot of attention. So, Yeah, man, those are the things you just can't let live sometimes. you got to let yeah. it go. <laughs> Absolutely. I've got to say, in some practice games with him, uh, uh, I played just trying to – we were trying out some of the scenarios and, and different pieces to see how it sort of hung together. And um, uh, that thing just drove me nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing so, that a lot so of people really, the thing that a lot of people forget with that thing is how small it is. And yeah. you can really get behind. It's like uh like your Polish tankette or um you know my Japanese tankettes. You can literally hide the type 94 Japanese tankette behind a set of stairs on a board. It is so small that you yeah. could, you know, you could almost hide it behind, you know, a, a foam pole. And to have the universal carrier it's a, it's a little bit bigger, but not that much bigger. So you can really hide that thing where you want. And then, you know, it can zip out being a wheeled, sorry, not wheeled tracked vehicle. You can drive over rough terrain, keeping that thing away from your lines, given its size and given its profile and given its capabilities of driving over things, it can be a real headache. Yeah. And he had a Pinto mounted machine gun on it as well. So mm-hmm. um, had it load, loaded up with troops and, and driving around, giving everyone a bit of trouble. So yeah. uh, the other thing that we gave away, went back on prizes again, sorry. Um, uh, the other thing that we gave away was uh, we, with Warlord sponsorship, um, they also gave us uh, a copy of Combined Arms, um, the new, uh, uh, what do you call it, board mm-hmm. game, war game uh, that it is. And uh, we decided with this. Uh, uh, instead of, and this was after some conversation with some guys in Canberra um, uh, about this, uh, we decided to try and um, think a bit differently about the way we gave away the big prize for the day. And, and so instead of it being the person who wins the game, gets uh, wins the tournament, gets to come up first and 
you know, they feel almost compelled to take the biggest thing on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, we decided that with combined arms, we would do a dice off. And so we got all 32 players lined up down the hall, facing off against their round two opponent. And they had one roll of the dice to, to beat each other. Any ties got replayed down to eight, down to 16 players, down to eight players, down to four, final two. And, and, and the cool thing was that Alex, um, that we spoke about earlier, uh, he not only won his first game, but he went home with a copy of Combined Arms. That's uh, awesome. I, I think he almost floated on a cloud outside, out the door when he left. So uh, he was he was pretty pleased with himself. Right, yeah, man. Awesome Japanese dice. He did. Yes. You know I'm down for that. Well, one of the big things that you guys talked about, and you've mentioned it a couple times, but I think it's worth mentioning again, and I don't think we need to go through all the etiquette points here, but sportsmanship is absolutely essential uh, to the to your philosophy in the creating and running of Codswallop. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, what your expectations were and how that actually played out on the day? Yeah, so... So the first thing I wanted to say to people was that we weren't going to to be giving a sportsman. I didn't want this to be a competition. So, look, I'm being more sporting than him. I just want this to be part of the, the culture of the event. Um, and and we wanted people, uh, given that you know, we were trying to attract new players, and, and I've got to say it was probably 40% of the players were new mm-hmm. um, to the game, which was great. We had a bunch of people that couldn't make it. They were either new or returning. They hadn't played for a long time. They might have only played version one. Uh, so I almost call those new players is that they're, they're basically coming in. Can you call David Xavier a new player, though? Yeah, I know. He's he's a little different. He's a bit special, David. Um, he is a little bit special. Fifth or something, didn't he? Definitely not. Yeah. He is, he is not a new player, but mm. everyone else who was a returning player. <laughs> and then we did. We had a number of players that messaged me and said, look, I've only played two games of version one. Um, is it okay if I come? You know, I, I don't know how I'm going to fit. And we wanted to make it really clear to people that everyone was welcome uh, and uh, that the, the purpose of the day, sure, we want it to be compared. We want people to play to try and win. But we can do that in a way that is like responsible adults mm-hmm. and, and actually just enjoy ourselves. And, yeah, sometimes the dice go your way and sometimes they don't. And, and that's the game, yeah. And and we had people helping each other during the games, saying, "Yeah, have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing that?" Or mm-hmm. at the end of the game, yeah, if I was you, I would have done. Next time, I'd play this. I heard people actually having the conversation afterwards. Help me out, yeah. Next time I play, who should? How should I manage this? And mm-hmm. I tried to, where possible, match people not only historically in that first round, but try to look for uh, people who would be able to help out with that approach. Uh, people mm-hmm. that uh, may have known each other from other spaces. Some of them just got lucky in that way. I, I just lucked out. Some of them I tried to get with, you know, someone senior I knew in our club that would be really good to mm-hmm. to, to guide someone along there. And then we just have a bit of a talk at the start of the event just to, to set down what the expectations are and that we're not playing for sheep stations. Everyone's going home with something really good. And we did have um, our sponsors, and we'll talk about them in a little while, but mm-hmm. uh, it we uh, we did have some really generous sponsors that helped out. We had some wonderful prizes, and people could see those up front. So I was just to say that you know there is no big, you know, three hundred dollar pack of something for you to take home. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's it's everyone's in here to play, and, and there were some trophies for the for the first, second, and third. There was the special dice for them, but at the end of the day, everyone got something. Nice, nice. Well, clearly for this point value, if we're rocking 
less than 500 points. If yeah. you were to put that on a four by six table, the table might look a little empty uh, and the games might actually take a little bit longer because you need to move around them. You narrowed the field. Now, this is something that we did a couple years ago here in Melbourne. And honestly, I can't remember how many points it was. I want to say 750 points is when we ran it. And we ran it at a four by four table, just like you did. And it, I think it was still too many points for a four by four, but I think there was not enough points for a four by six, if that makes sense. Um, You dropped to a four by four. And I think for your point value, I think it works really well, but that's from, you know, theory hammer being the armchair, the armchair general without actually putting boots on the table, so to speak. You've actually been there now. You've seen this Mm -hmm. in action, 32 players duking it out and you play tested it beforehand. Do you think the four by four is a good point value for, or a, a good table size for that point value? Let's, let's ask Adrian. Let's start there. He, he played it. I, I just watched people play it. Adrian, your thoughts? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. If it had been, you know, six by four, it would have been uh, way too big. I mean, your flanking maneuvers wouldn't have. I mean, you know, you've only got seven units on the dice, mm-hmm. uh, seven seven units on the board, and you know, maybe only two or three of those are infantry units. So you really don't have a lot of, uh, you know, teams to manoeuvre around with. Um, you know, it was, it was, we had to think a hell of a lot about every single point mm-hmm. that we spent at that point value. And, um, and you know, there was, there was the special rules that were with this uh, tournament. So the MMGs uh, putting out the double pins and, and the officers. Um, as it turned out with the officers, I think uh, I was a little bit uh, kind of my experienced officer, but um, having a more experienced officer or even having a higher point officer really helps to keep when you've got something like MMGs putting out auto pins, mm-hmm. it's good to have officers around to keep your troops moving, and that's really important. Mm-hmm. Now, I, had, I ended up with uh, an officer team. Uh, that was veteran, and basically, they were veteran, and they and they won me my draw because Ian was hell bent on knocking those guys off. Uh, one of the objectives, so uh, and he just missed out. So it was a real close run thing, and it was just the fact that they were veteran, uh, and I had to take them veteran because of uh, the way my list was. Um, so yeah, I think. There was a couple of scenarios like with – well, there was one scenario especially, I think the one I played against Ian, where there was five um, there was five objectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just for that amount of points with only seven dice, it was – it did – I felt that it was too many. You know, I had to have – I had to have two units holding objectives and that basically left me one unit um, to, you know – to give it a red hot go to go and get anything. So, you know, I mean, maybe if we'd played where you flip the objective like in Tank Wars, so once you've held it, mm-hmm. you it's yours until somebody else takes it. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have probably um, – that would have been one of the takeaways uh, with the smaller table um, because uh, you just don't have the troops 
to hold a larger amount of objectives. But you don't want only two or three objectives either because then it becomes a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. stale. Um, only having one object, uh, only having a couple of objectives and really only fighting over one. So and you actually, I was going to say, Adrian, you, you bring up a really good point on that. Um, so, so that mission that uh, Adrian's talking about, I think, is Fog of War. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one from the Bold Action Alliance. Um, Brad, you might be familiar with that one. And, Maybe. Um, yeah, there we go. <laughs> and uh, it, I, I ummed and ahed about including that mission um, mm. for the reason. I, I wanted to, to put some different missions in there that, again, force people to think differently. Um, and putting one with five objectives was really interesting because all of a sudden that it opened that question of how many do I go for? Yeah. yeah we, with seven guys on the table, maximum nine, minimum five, you've got to start thinking hard about what to do. And one guy, unfortunately, he bought LRDG um, mm-hmm. and uh, had the problem of not being able to hold objectives, uh, mm-hmm. which, which was interesting. So you've got to think about that when you're, you're putting your list together. He just didn't see that in the in the mission pack. He just missed the, the point in that. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, his army looked very cool and, and was mm-hmm. tenacious in, in, in defeats a couple of times trying to hold on to objectives when he, he didn't have a lot of troops to take it. Um, but that was uh, one of the key things in thinking about those smaller tables was was how do we do that? We had to modify a few things, and I, I think mm-hmm. um, uh, we had to think about sort of some of the measurements with the four-by-four four tables. Uh, some of the missions talk about having, you know, uh, things that have to be 18 inches apart from each other. So, well, yeah, it's not going to quite work that way because yeah, we don't exactly. have all that space. <laughs> um, so, and that was, I guess, key to playtesting some of the, the missions beforehand was, mm-hmm. was trying to get the chance to throw them on the table and see what they look like on a four by four table and, and try a few things, see that they didn't work, throw it out, put it back in again and and, and trial it. So there was a, a bit of that thinking going on. But I, honestly, I think the four by four tables, um, I think worked really well. Gave people plenty of space on the side. Each table was set up with the six by four board. But with, so therefore there was a two foot strip down the side for them to put their books and their dice and you know, whatever it was they had there, plus the the army uh, going on in the, in the battle, uh, and any casualties that dropped off just got yeah pushed to the side a little bit. So which that was nice from that perspective. Yeah, and the pictures I saw from the event had wonderful terrain too. So it wasn't. I know that sometimes when I've talked to people about smaller events with smaller tables, they've spoken as though the tables would be empty, um, which I always feel like is in, uh, the opposite of what I'd expect. I'd expect if you had a smaller table that you would have more terrain. Um, but I, having looked at pictures from your event, it seemed like there was a nice mix of density um, that you know you didn't just have one type of table that was really light on terrain or really heavy and nothing in between. You, it seemed you had a spectrum um, that benefited different people's armies. So, you know, people got a, a nice uh, range of tactical opportunities on the tabletop when they were pushing their toy soldiers around. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think this is uh, for the guys that all build terrain. And, you know, Adrian's one of the guys that provided uh, one of the tables for the day. And, and, and you know, all of our members of the club uh, that were able to chipped in and, and helped out with terrain where possible. And um, and there's some beautiful boards there um, uh, that they really take a lot of pride in what they do mm-hmm. in putting that together. And that they try to think really hard about would they like to play on this table? Because sometimes you, you see tables that look beautiful, uh, and then when you go to play on it, you go, oh, this is actually really impractical to move my my toy soldiers around. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, and so it's trying to find that balance between uh, those two things I think is important. You want people to walk in. It's one of the things I love about bolt action. You walk in around, when I walked around Moab, I went and visited uh, uh, Adrian and the boys uh, playing at Moab. You walk around some of the tables on, on other game systems and it doesn't look so great. You walk yeah. into the bolt action tables and they look magnificent. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, um, you know, there's some clubs around the place that do really well with terrain. That they, I mean, obviously the guys in Tasmania just love their terrain and they do a great job. Guys in Western Australia, we've seen some fantastic stuff there too. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that sort of got our guys going, all wanting to make sure that we were putting out uh, good quality terrain as well. There was one of the tables that you brought up uh, in the photos there, Brad. Um, it, it got our, uh, one of the prizes we gave away was um, the best table, best terrain provided for the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so uh, that um, uh, Sicilian uh, Italian looking table. Um, you will see on there, and it's uh, it's a little bit different. Um, and you just go back one, that one there. That's it. A little bit different in that it's got elevation in it. Yes. Uh, so there's there's you know a lot of tables you know tend not to do a lot with elevation. They they put a lot of trees and, and bunkers mm-hmm. and things. Whereas, and I had a couple of guys comment to me who'd been playing on on this table on the day that uh, this was really different for them because they had to think about you know. Being putting artillery on high places, all of a sudden it can see mm-hmm. me in places that I didn't expect. Um, although those buildings are fairly tall as well, so could it, could I hide behind the buildings and get around them? So that was really interesting for them. They, they found that challenging uh, and and different. And we and I, this is my son's board that he put together. Uh, he made all those hills, and uh, and this is uh, one that he was particularly proud of. Uh, again, he'll be making an appearance at CanCon. Uh, uh, next year, so uh, it'll it'll be uh, in the full six by four format. Uh, it'll mm-hmm. be slightly differently um, uh, arranged, but uh, this table was uh, really different. But I think we had a lot of really beautiful tables. We had one that Adrian provided, which was half fields, half village, uh, which was really nice. I don't know whether I provided the photo on that one. Uh, there was a, a an industrial style one. Uh, there was a couple of winter boards. There was some desert stuff. So it was just a really good mix. Uh, for people to get into some lovely Normandy stuff with some uh, uh, tanks that had been ruined, uh, buried inside hedgerows and things like that as as uh, awesome. cover. So it was it was very cool. I haven't seen that before, actually. The tanks in the hedgerows, this terrain. Uh, yeah, it's on one of the on one of the photos uh, there. If you, if you yeah, go back and have oh. a look at it later, you'll you'll see it. Right. That is a good idea. I'm going to go check that out. Well, let's talk for a second about the thing that you know I'm going to bring up, because as you mentioned, I do like to write a mission. Let's talk about the missions you ran on the day. And I'm not just actually asking because I know you ran one of mine. Um, Besides Fog of War, um, what other missions did you run? You have mentioned that you modified the deployments for smaller point level and the smaller table size. But talk to us a little bit about the missions that you ran on the day. Yeah, so mission one was straight out of the book. Uh, that was um, point defense. And it's one that you don't see a lot at tournaments. Uh, we wanted to have, um, uh, when I was talking with a few different people, and this is what I try to do as I'm putting these things together, I try and get a just a mixture of experienced players where I just throw ideas off them and just bounce things around. People probably don't even realise that I'm actually trying to source things for Cod's Wallet, but uh, yeah, just try to get ideas and what people's thoughts are. So mm-hmm. uh Point defense, it was one that some people said to me, oh, I'd never run that at a, a tournament. I don't like it. Um, it. It advantages the, I think, the defender too much was the comments that I that I heard. But I wanted to have some attacker-defender scenarios in there to allow people to bring, you, know, you want to benefit some people who bring things like the Italian army. They oh, don't yeah. get a lot of love 
and I wanted to see them get an opportunity out there. So, so we actually had um, a couple of missions that could do that, and Point Defence was one of those. Uh, on that one, that was one where we needed to adjust the um, the distance that you could place the um, the objectives apart um, because the board just wasn't wide enough. So we had we had to look at that. Mission two was exactly out of the book sectors. Um, everyone's favourite. Um, it always gets a run at, at tournaments, and it's a fairly safe um, uh, kind of a mission to run. Uh, mm -hmm. Getting that manoeuvrability. The interesting thing with sectors this time is being able to get in and around um, the smaller board. The movement made it a little bit easier being able to jump across those uh, uh, horizontal sectors, I guess, and easier to get around, get, get across the board there. Um, so sectors was number two. And number three was fog of war. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and mission number four was uh, supply drop, another bolt action alliance. Um, uh, mission and that one was really interesting uh, the number of people that, that commented on that one because it's that you don't know where the objectives are going to turn up mm -hmm. uh, in that game and and uh, what was interesting and this happened to me in playtest as well was that um, that mission ended up with the randomness the randomness of the objectives mm -hmm. with them falling on top of units um, so yep. it was amazing the number of times that they landed right on top of a unit and they were already oh we, we got that um, so, so that was an interesting. One. I don't know what your experience with that one was, Adrian. The, the random uh, objectives there. Uh, yeah, I, I play tested that um, with Roy, and uh, and that was that was it's actually a lot of fun, even on the four by four. Um, you know, it, it kind of worked. I mean, you looked at it and went, "Oh, well, that's it could be anywhere on the board," um, mm -hmm. and, and it was. And uh, and I remember when we were play testing it. We had units killed and, you know, all sorts of stuff happening. And, and, it, and, you know, initially I was like, oh, it's, you know, I don't know about this. But it was it was a lot of fun. And that's the whole point. The whole point is is having a hell of a lot of fun playing games. So, um, and that was that was the last game. Um, I think I played that against Kenny. Um, and, yeah, and, and look, that game... Um, was the only game that I came up against uh, a medium machine gun, and mm. um, he was doing doing the job of uh, of he's doing a pretty good job of pinning my veteran unit in a field, um, and basically they had to just get up and move six inches to get that objective, and I was lucky enough because I was running veterans to get those boys up and. Um, and and get them on the objective but you know we'll talk about that when we talk about lists yes yeah. well i think i've talked about the supply drop as uh, that seems to be the new hot mission that everyone mentions and i know that not everyone may have heard the previous one so i'll keep this short um for, if you played in the original bolt action alliance 2016 or 2020 player pack the mission that was is universally either loved the most or hated the most is kitty hawk down um, and it seems to be the other mission that everyone loves is Heartbreak Ridge. So all the feedback, all the hate mail I got for Kitty Hawk Down, I took took it on and thought about it for a long time and then pulled the things that I really liked from Heartbreak Ridge and combined the two um, so that you didn't have that one objective coming in and blowing things up that everyone seemed to hate. And also the fact that the objectives come off in symmetrically opposite directions, no one's ever disadvantaged because, 
you know, an objective is going in towards both players. Now you don't know where on your half, but there is still an objective going on your half. And if for some weird reason, the dice put it straight down the middle, well, both players get it equally. So yeah, it's, it's fun. Anyway, uh, I'm glad you guys enjoyed playing it. Um, I know a lot of people seem to be playing that at the moment. Um, and yeah, I look forward to putting out the formal version. Please send in your feedback. Uh, yeah. But let's but talk. Just, just on that one, Brad, before yeah. you jump off, that was another one that we had to adjust the distances for. So I was how far apart the, the things were going to fall. Yeah. Well, let's talk. Before we get to lists, we do need to mention sponsors. Now, you yeah. did mention, Craig, that Warlord Games came to the table in a big way. And that's part of their new event support program. And they have come out swinging. I know for Operation Bear and for Jump to Action, um, they really brought the prizes. And I, I, I understand they did the same thing for Moab. And now they're doing the same thing for Codswallop. Um, so that's really impressive to see. But of course, that is done through our friends and, of, and local distributors of Warlord Games, uh, people who have been supporting the Warlord scene or the bolt action scene in Melbourne and Australia-wide since it started. In fact, the very first time I bought any bolt action, including the rulebook, was from War and Peace Games, our good friends. Yeah. Um, I mean, how good are these guys? War and Peace have been sponsors for, for the, all three Cods Wallops. They're the only sponsor we've had all the way through. And uh, they've been very, very generous. Uh, they helped me out with getting things organised with uh, Warlord, which was fantastic, uh, and really uh, did their uh, level best to make sure that I had everything that I needed on the day, um, offered some extra support when I um, chipped some extra the, um, the entry fees in to buy some extra things. They were um, uh, gave to me a bit of discounts as well, so so it was really really uh, generous of them. Um, so between them and Warlord, uh, that that was uh, one half of the uh, the sponsorship. We had um, we actually had two other sponsors. Uh, one of them didn't make it onto the the players pack when I put it out. Uh, so I'll mention that one first. That's Eureka. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people know Nick uh, from down in Melbourne. Uh, great guy, so and uh, puts, puts out some beautiful sculpts. Amazing. Uh, yeah, so we got some uh, gift vouchers from um, from Eureka uh, to help us out, and, and they were they were a new sponsor this year for us. Um, and, and then the other guy that's uh, helped us out is Andrew Crara uh, from um, uh, Warriors Den. Uh, he's been mm -hmm. on for the last two years. Very very generous uh, supporter. And this year, one of the thirty two competitors, he flew down from Brisbane to join us, and nice. uh, and presented some of the trophies on the day. So it was it was great to have him there. Um, and uh, like I, I've used Andrew a number of times for buying things after I learned about him through uh, sponsorship of the event uh, last year. And uh, he's been uh, uh, immensely helpful in locating stuff that I wanted to get uh, that I couldn't find anywhere in a store. And he, he was able to sort of get it for me and, uh, and, and get it to me as soon as possible. So which has been fantastic as well. So I, I'd really talk up all of them. Uh, Adrian, you had something you wanted to add? And there was one more uh, sponsor that didn't it get a mention unfortunately, uh, and that's um, RKX Miniatures in the UK. They're a uh, SDL mm -hmm. um, business, and he allowed us to uh, to print a bit of a starter army for the Americans with their 105 Howitzer, the, the, uh, the uh, I think it was Jackson I did, and the, uh, oh, what's happened? Am I, am I still on? Yeah, you're still yep. with us, man. Yes, sir. You're on. Sorry. You're still with us. 
uh, and the HST, the M4 HST. Uh, and yeah. so that was that was picked up uh, and uh, and taken. And that was yeah, that was fantastic. Uh, I like what our uh, our uh, wooden spooner went home with. Yeah. Yep. So it's about yep. what was it, fourth or fifth off the table or something. Yep. So, absolutely. And that's um, and we did the same thing at uh, Moab. We, um, we printed a bunch of stuff and put it together with uh, Eureka miniatures for starter packs. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the Soviets were the first thing off the table. Yep. Um, and then we had a Japanese pack, and that was the third thing off the table. So, um, yeah, some really fantastic prizes. Great, great sponsorship. And um, and Warlord coming to the party, it's just, it's just been amazing. The last two events... But I've been to. I mean, I've just you know looked at the tables and gone, this is crazy. I think right. Ian added up. There was something like sixteen hundred dollars worth of prizes at mm-hmm. Moab. Oh, but you know, between twenty four people. I mean, it's just it's crazy. The prize support, it's just fantastic. The trouble. No, it's, I've a, got, it's outstanding stuff. The problem yeah. I've got is that I've just got too much stuff already. So it's like I can't take anything off the table. I can't put it into my pile of shame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. A pile no, of, I think, um, a pile of opportunity, it, I think, is what they call it these days, just to feel better about yourself. Going into nice. Christmas, just call it a, a pile of opportunity, okay? Just make well, us I, all feel better. I did get one of those piles of opportunity together for Codswallop, so that was, you know, that was a, that was a good thing. Nice. Yeah. Yes, I was just going to say, yes. So, I mean, I, I, I can't thank those sponsors enough uh, all coming to the party uh, and all through, as I said, you know, War and Peace have been there from, from day one through COVID uh, and, and they're tough times and for them and for um, Warriors mm-hmm. Den, I'm sure they're all doing it tough during that time with businesses not being able to operate as they normally would. And, and to, to be able to, to sponsor us in the ways that they have has made the event possible um, and, and it makes people want to, when they go home for their thirty dollars, they're going home with something that's you know, quite possibly worth more than the thirty dollars they paid for, mm-hmm. and and they just—I mean, honestly—people were so happy walking out the door saying that it was one of the best events they've been to. They just all went home with something. They got a good feed, um, had a great time, some laughs with people. It's what you want. It is. It is. Well, Codswallop was an overwhelming success. From here, yeah. her, having heard from players, having heard from you guys. What a time. But let's shift gears a little bit and to talk about smaller point games in general. Mm-hmm. Now, when we ran the 750-point-ish 4 by 4 tables, one of the big takeaways that we saw was all of a sudden, and we did limit the armor just like you guys did, but one of the things that we did or we noticed was um, tanks – were very important on those tables. I think it's because we were using bigger points and uh, assault units became paramount. I think because people had the extra points beyond the 489 that you guys were running, um, there was a, a lot of SMG troops because the, the boards are smaller. There were more troop squads and those troop squads were armed to bear. And the people who brought particularly assault heavy armies did very well. Now that was a long time ago. And again, that was a much larger point value than you were running. 
if I was to run on a four by four table again, I would probably run 500 points as well. Um, do you have any hot takes that you have as a takeaway? Um, Adrian, why don't I start with you as a player who was on the table, any big takeaways, recommendations for people who might be looking to run a small event or even just a a fun, um, casual game with their friends, uh, on a smaller table. Uh, yeah. Tanks and armored cars, closed tanks and armored cars, because you want them to be effective. So you don't want them to be pinned by, or even assaulted um, by infantry. I mean, don't forget infantry can still assault vehicles, especially if they're open top, destroy them mm-hmm. quite easily without anti-tank grenades. Um, so, you know, uh, Ian Underwood's force was probably the toughest one I came up against, and he was running a, a M1311 or whatever is the, the Italian tank with the mm-hmm. light gun in the hull and the twin machine guns on the turret. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a ZM, the World War One vintage armored car, and he got those right up in my face, and he was he was kicking my ass with them. I had to I had to throw my one of my squads of infantry at him in a in a vain hope that they'll get some hits and you know put them out of action or at least immobilize them. But alas, that didn't quite work. But mm-hmm. um. Yeah, that was that was one of the big takeaways. The tanks were were very effective. Uh, yeah, very effective in that point size. You know, you're limited um, by your anti-tank. I mean, are you going to take anti-tank? Uh, and my ta- my decision was no, because it's not it's not going to get the points back. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to take a tank that is going to be at other tanks and can't do a good job against infantry. And I'm not going to take, you know, something like a bazooka for 60 points or mm-hmm. a past or uh, they're 80 points. There's no way I'm taking something like that just mm-hmm. in case. I'm better off to ignore those tanks. And if I'm where I want to be, just go down. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Well, that yeah. Italian tank you mentioned earlier is a beautiful tank for that because it's got the late AT gun. And it's got the machine gun. So it is horrifically efficient against infantry squads. But if you do run into a tank or an armored vehicle in a smaller point value game where there's the eight plus armor rule, people are likely to be taking lighter things. Light AT gun, all of a sudden, very effective. So, and it's cheap. Yeah. Very effective, but still 50 points for regular. Really, I don't know. You got to do. You got to. If you're taking that away from one of your infantry units, then you know you're not going to have enough. And this is the problem that Ian ran into. He only had two infantry units, and they were both inexperienced. And by the end of the game, uh, he only had one. While um, you know, I still had all mine. So yeah, um, yeah, it was. To be fair, I was talking about more the AT gun on the tank rather than outside of the tank shooting. But still, um, I mean, I am the guy who ran a light AT gun in his DAC list at Moab for years, so I can't talk. But that was a much that was a thousand points, not five hundred. So, yeah, um, I, yeah. I will come back to you, Adrian. But uh, Craig, what do you think? Yeah, it was it was interesting. Uh, the the comment that I think overwhelmingly came back to me as people were playtesting their lists in the lead up to the event 
was that at 489 points, you had to think really hard about what you were going to do with your units because you didn't have that reserve force that was sitting back waiting for something else to go wrong and, and jump in. So, so people thought really hard about how they were going to preserve their units. And our scoring system that we went with this time around, we tried to say to people, we want you to, to value that. So instead of uh, previously we'd run a, an event that looked at uh, rewarding uh, kills. Mm -hmm. Yeah, The more of your enemy you killed, the, the, the better you did in your games. Uh, in this one, we, we actually had it, the more you actually looked after your guys and still managed to get a victory or not was mm -hmm. the thing that, that got you through. And, uh, and so people did report back that that was one of the things they found really interesting was it made some really tough decisions on do I really want to commit this squad of six guys mm -hmm. because if I put them out there, it could be a bit of strife and, and I haven't got anyone else to be able to pick up that objective. And particularly on those missions where you've got the five objectives, Mm -hmm. That became really, really difficult for people. So I think that was one interesting thing. Uh, a couple of interesting meta things that happened during... It, it's funny how these things uh, uh, swing around. Is A lot of people, uh, there was a number of cavalry units uh, getting mm -hmm. out there. Uh, I think, Adrian, you had one uh, with, with your polls. I would yeah. not run a horse without it now. Love it. Yeah, I, I saw you bring them on in, a, in an out. Uh, in, I think in the final game, I think you, were, you came in with a flanking uh, uh, manoeuvre. Won me the game. I think they won every game for me, pretty much. Exactly, yeah. Uh, there was one guy who, uh, and he won the Hannah Swag Award. He bought Australians on camels. Yes. From, from Egypt. Yep, so early, early war Brits. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So that was very cool. Um, and so we saw a bit of cavalry getting out there. The other thing we saw was uh, auto cannons. Mm -hmm. A lot of auto cannons, auto cannons on trucks, auto cannons just sitting on the table. Uh, so we saw a lot of those out there, um, which which really proved interesting for people. It just the the meta in cha changed entirely where people started uh, thinking about things. And and it was interesting in, in the lead up for these small games and with that MMG rule that we launched. Uh, one of the things was that people were. Um, thinking really hard about, you know, oh, someone's surely going to bring that, you know, American uh, MMG uh, platoon that's just filled with MMGs and, yeah, mm -hmm. what are you going to do? And no one did. No one no one bought anything like that because at that point level, they realised that, well, they were good for throwing out pins, but mm -hmm. heaven forbid actually being able to do anything with them in terms of, you know, you've got to make them manoeuvrable and be able to actually mm -hmm. capture objectives and that's assault right. things. They're still MMGs. They've, they've got a fixed arc and they can't move and shoot. They're, you know, and snipers can take them out. They're exactly. even even throwing out a free pin, they're still pretty useless. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, all you MMG lovers. <laughs> I actually played a game against Patch last week. Spoilers. Uh, I did pull out a MMG in a Japanese list. And I did pin down one of his big infantry squads uh, just by throwing out, you know, a pin at the end of the turn, pit at the beginning of the turn, put two pins on him. They failed their test, went down. And then, then at the beginning of the next turn, hit him again, went down again. I was like, yep, keep it going. And then he rallied. And then I hit him again. And then I hit him again. And it was yep. just one MMG with one squad occasionally throwing a couple shots over to add to the pins. But that 50-point MMG, baby. And it was sitting on an objective at the same time. It did right. everything it had to do. Best 50 points ever. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, 
so yeah, so so it's interesting they're playing those smaller games. I think those sort of the considerations. There was a couple of other things that I thought were interesting um, after uh, the first round, and this is something that we uh, we changed mid-tournament for people. Uh, first game prep bombardment, uh, mm-hmm. and um, and and it was really devastating for at, at four eighty nine points if it went bad for you, uh, and so. Um, uh, the recommendation we came from uh, Mission 2 onwards was if there was a prep bombardment, discuss whether you actually want to do it as players. The challenge that, that I didn't want to totally ban it was that anyone that had bought a British list don't get one of their key advantages that they have for mm-hmm. bringing their British. So I didn't want to totally ban it. So it had to be a discussion between the players. If they couldn't agree, it's as the rules uh, in, that, in that mission. And I think there was only two that had the prep bombardment anyway. Uh, but that was a, a discussion that got raised. So I, I'd, I'd encourage anyone, if you're doing something at that point level, think about that, uh, that kind of thing that could be devastating because you don't have, it's not like a 1,000 points where you've got you know, 12, 13, 14 dice um, lists on the table. You've got yeah. five, you've got six, you've got seven. Mm-hmm. Average was seven. And um, uh, so that that makes you think really differently about the way you do things. And when when you're seven, one of them is the officer. Mm-hmm. And then you might have a vehicle, you know, all of a sudden you're down to, you know, four possibly units that can capture an objective. It, it, it changes your thinking. So just uh, encouraging people to think around that. But uh, look, I, I'd encourage people to experiment. You know, get in, have a go at a small game. I mean, doing it at your club, I think, is a fantastic way to give people that opportunity to, to come in. And, and at Western Front Gamers, it's one of the things we're really keen on is trying to welcome people into the club, give them a good experience. If they want to turn up and try bold action for the first time, we're going to give them an Adrian to play against who's going to sit there and help them That is yeah, talk through the game with them and and, and work through them. Now, I mentioned Alex before. He's been with us for a number of years and he just loves turning mm-hmm. up and playing. And he doesn't he doesn't win it very often, but he loves the loves the game and he loves the you know the thinking through what he's got to try and do. Yeah, it's fantastic. And we've got a lot of great guys. Uh, you might know Brian Medbury. I don't know whether you know Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian's one of the uh, he and Ian, I'd, I'd have to say, are, are two of the gentlemen of the uh, of the game uh, in our club as well. And so we're really privileged to have guys like that that you can just you know they, they just stand beside someone and help them play, help them learn the game, which I think is just fantastic. One of the things that we saw uh, when we were running the smaller size was, and I think it had to do with the proliferation of assault units, was there were a lot of trucks with machine guns yeah. a because the machine gun is super efficient on a truck. It's cheaper than the mach- media machine gun team, as Adrian pointed out earlier, and it is mobile. It allows you to get where you need to go and you can deliver those assault units where they want to go. What you even see more of are either the Japanese light trucks or which is the same profile, the ever present, uh, Dodge beep, the, um, half truck, you know, the eight, the eight capacity half size truck. So those definitely made a huge appearance at our previous event. And again, I think it had you dropped down to 500 points rather than 750, you would have seen a lot fewer of those. But because you were limiting points, um, it led to people going, well, instead of taking armored vehicles, well, I'm going to take soft skin vehicles because they're cheaper. But then I'm going to take the same old infantry I always do. And they may have had a few fewer toys as far as howitzers and whatnot, other things and gone for maybe a slightly cheaper option, maybe a light howitzer instead of a medium, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, the, the soft skins were out in force. And at the time that wasn't a meta thing as bad. Um, however, now 
given that they're seen all over the place. And we have tournaments like CanCon significantly changing the rules of the game to try and combat their, you know, ever presence on the yep. tabletop. I think um, that might be something to consider uh, if you are planning an event or a game, you might see some soft skins. So yeah. Adrian, um, anything you want to add to either what I've said or to what Craig said, or just general thoughts about things to consider when playing smaller point games? Um, I don't know. I, I didn't see any soft skins action. I didn't see a single truck with the MMG. I'm, I'm yeah. At, at 489, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. Yeah, trucks didn't even weren't even on my radar at that at that sort of level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not sure, Craig. I mean, you had all the lists. Did you have many trucks come through? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't there, get there, were, there were a few. Um, there was one. Uh, Julian brought one. I think that had a. Um, it didn't have the MMG. It might have had the MMG as well, but I remember it had like a, a light auto cannon on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, which, was, which was cool. So there was there's a bit of that going on, but there were there were a few trucks. That was a heavy um, auto. It was a heavy auto cannon, was it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, now, the, but yeah, there, there were a few, but not many. I don't think. I think you would see that uh, far more at seven fifty or nine hundred, for example. If going to Moab, I mean, there would have been a lot of trucks. Um, um, at least from having seen pictures, I noticed there were a lot of trucks. Yeah. Yeah. There was, <laughs> So, well, as, I think, as, as you said, if, if you drop down to 500-ish points, that's really going to drop off, where people really then focus on the things that they need to have, like infantry squads and an officer, right? Yeah. Um, anything else, Adrian? Uh, about trucks? In general. In the, at the lower points? Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I can talk about, I'll talk about my list and how I put it together. Yeah, please do. Um, yeah, you know, at four hundred ninety-nine points, um, there was there was a couple of major considerations in this tournament, and the first one was the uh, the auto pin with the MMG. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't want to be taking inexperienced or even regular guys if you're going to be expecting, you know, extra pins. So. Um, you needed first up with the officer. Your officer really needed to do his job, and that was, you know, help drop pins, but also needed to, if he could, put out a pin. So I had my officer. Uh, he was veteran um, because I had to, and mm-hmm. he had an assistant um, who was uh, had a rifle, so he could put out a pin at twenty four inches, and that was that was their job. I'm not sure whether they did it very often, but they gave it a red hot go. Actually, those two guys, because I ran polls and they were fanatic in my mm-hmm. second game, they assaulted a, um, a, a, a mum and herring or something, you know, the same tank that I had with the twin mm-hmm. current MMGs, you know, the Armour 7 with the soft sides. Those two guys got in there and assaulted one of those, and um, I think they disabled it. They uh, Broke the tracks or whatever they did. Um, <laughs> <with> their, <laughs> um, just, you know, because they were fanatics, they could just get in there. So, because mm-hmm. um, I was thinking, what am I going to do with this fanatic on these Polish? But, yeah, right. no, that, was, that was great. That worked really well. And so, um, obviously, Polish, 
You're not going to run uh, polls without any lances. Um, I I didn't play against him, but there was a guy at, at CanCon last year who ran uh, a strong um, Polish Lancer army, but I sort of always felt that just having the, the cavalry, you were going to be a bit limited. You know, mm-hmm. there's a few tactics that you can you can do or if it's open ground or anything like that, you know, you're in trouble. You've got to get up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took six veteran lancers. Um, six veteran um, armored, the armor core guys. Um, mm-hmm. The trouble with poles is that the minimum squad size is 10. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's just too many. So, but I think with the armored um, troops, I think it's four or five, like mm-hmm. standard sort of squad size. Yeah, five. So I, I took five. one of those one of those guys veteran, and I took one of those and another squad of six as regular. So that's four dice, um, and I had to because I was expecting uh, an MMG in every list. I had to take a sniper, and mm-hmm. so I also uh, so the poles get. The marksman, so he was a single guy and he was a bit cheaper. So he was 10 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, 10 points cheaper than a sniper. And that actually put my assistant with the officer. Um, uh, so that was my fifth dice. And then I ran the little um, tankette with the 20 mil auto cannon. That was my most expensive. No, it wasn't my most expensive unit. I think that Lancers were. But that was like 90 points. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I undenied with that because it was so many points. Mm-hmm. But auto cannon on a seven plus enclosed vehicle, but I just I needed some anti tank. Otherwise, you know they other people's tanks were just going to roll right over me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely roll right over me. So, um, so I put that in, and that was you know that was pretty cheap. But the poles get um, ah, I can't remember what is the, the that British thing that they built with the twin. Uh, turrets, twin MMG mm-hmm. turrets, and that works out regular at forty-five points. And so between <laughs> that, between that and the lances, you know, it's just those yeah. two units are just, yeah, at four hundred and eighty-nine points. These are these are great, yeah, units. So Adrian, Adrian was working really hard to get those poles ready. Um, for the list, he had his uh, Japanese forces, his backup. Uh, he he was uh, one of the guys that submitted two lists to me and said, "This is the one I'm painting. This is the one I'm 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 got if as my backup if I if I don't get there." And and I was glad he got there with the poles because uh, they were pretty popular. A lot of people really liked them. Dave Xavier, of course, big fan of his Polish. Mm-hmm. Um, he loves the poles. He does. Yeah, I I I play tested both those armies um, only once, but yeah, the poles. With the veteran infantry, uh, we're just so more solid. Yeah, uh, you know, take their pins; they're still able to move, still able to do what they need to do. And, and you know, bolt action is a game of movement. And mm-hmm. you, know, you want to win bolt action, you you guys got to be moving. You're not going to win by sitting back and shooting. Nobody mm-hmm. wins BA sitting back and shooting. You win BA by getting in there, smacking people around with your Polish lances. <laughs> Or your Japanese cavalry, who are fanatic, you know, fanatics, mm-hmm. tough fighter. I mean, you know, um, what? It's the only way to win, quite frankly. I, yeah. I think, you know, 
You've got to get in there, get in people's faces. That and heavy howitzers. Nice. Heavy howitzers at 489 points. Mm. <laughs> no, not, not at 489 points. No, I know. I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. At a thousand yeah. points. Um, yeah. And that and that was one of the things we did at Moab as well. Um, when you look at the rules on basing guns, it says mm-hmm. they've got to be with within two inches, right, of of the mm-hmm. of the breach of the breach. So that's pretty much a massive four inch circle around it. Mm-hmm. So even if you hit by a heavy howitzer, you're only going to lose. Let's take the Japanese uh, heavy howitzer with seven or eight crew, or mm-hmm. is it nine? It's at least eight. I think or, it's eight. Yep, the 88 with seven, you know, you're only going to kill three guys, even mm-hmm. with a hit, hit. And you take one of those veteran, you just keep them pumping out the shots, even if they've got stuff raining down on them. Well, that stuff's not raining down on your infantry, which are really doing. Yeah. They're the ones doing all the work. Um, and, you know, with – so what we did at Moab was we, we made this template and we – I don't know whether anybody actually ended up using it, but it was like you can base your guns however you want um, and you can you can take your hits on those bases as well. But if mm-hmm. you want to, this is the legal um, – this is the largest legal amount that you can spread your guys out and mm-hmm. you can have the hits on this template if, you know, if you want. That's, that, that's one of the rules of the, of the game to try and – that was partly to try and encourage people, you know, to, to take guns, you know, to, to, to go – it's more survivable than just crowding all the guys around the breach and losing mm-hmm. it to a you know, second turn. That's, that's why you don't see a lot of guns. Um, but with them spaced out properly, uh, I think when I went to CanCon last year with a veteran heavy howitzer with my mm-hmm. jacket, I think it – I lost it once in five games, or did I even lose it? Got pinned it's so down. Good. But yeah, they're they're great. They're super duper weapons. So, and as as someone who's run a heavy howitzer in a Japanese list myself, uh, I just say, heaven forbid you charge them with a squad <laughs> that's been you know beaten up a little bit on the way in. My guys are standing there with their shovels, saying, "We're fanatic. We're here, and there's a We're lot of us. Come yeah. at me, bro." I mean, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So um, yeah, even uh, even those flanking guys are uh, have mm-hmm. they're gonna stop taking out your howitzer. So yeah, because Cartapaccio squads are so expensive that if you charge in, you know they're they're gonna have a bunch. Yeah, they'll probably kill a couple guys for shooting, but gun shield uh, slash whatever else. Um, and then you go, well, I still got a bunch of guys here. Come at me. Yeah, I'm waiting for you. So yeah, yeah. it's a good time. It's a very good time. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think um, the only other thing that sort of comes on from the from the back is the Italians with their Dubats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the theater selector out of, I think it's Duel in the Sun. It, I think it is Duel in the Sun. It's Duel in the Sun or Western Desert. I think it's Duel in the Sun, yeah. No, it's Duel in the Sun, yeah. It's, it's yeah. not Western Desert. Um, it's basically, it's one of those ones where you can take the native troops as regular and you can take Debats who come in from the back edge, and um, uh, and everybody's got to be irregular natives except for one squad of Italians. Um, they'll come on the back as well, but yeah, 
they wouldn't stand much of a chance against the Japanese heavyweights either. <laughs> no, no, they wouldn't. Well, gentlemen, I think our time is sadly coming to a close. Um, Adrian, great thoughts. Craig, anything else you want to add? Yeah, look, the only thing I would say that uh, just talking specifically about um, uh, running events and things is if you really want to try and connect with people, um, you've got to give people the opportunity to connect with each other during the event. And one right. of the things that I, I really don't like when I go to big events is you rush from game to game to game, mm-hmm. go and get something to eat, go to the bathroom. You, know, you don't really get a chance to actually connect with people. And one of the things we really try to do, um, uh, we've done it every year, is we've, we've put lunch on uh, or dinner in this case uh, this year, uh, you know, play a couple of games and then give people time to go and stand outside and talk and connect. And I think that's a great way to, to have people really feel like they've been to a great social event rather mm-hmm. than it just be about, you know, my feet are killing me from standing on them for X number of hours playing right. through a game. And, and, and reality is, you know, we, we had, what, four games at 90 minutes each, but we had a big break in between game three and four so that people could go outside, have a drink, you know, have something to eat and just talk. And it was fantastic, you know, just hearing the conversations going. It was almost like trying to drag people away from those conversations to go back in to play the last game was a challenge. And, mm-hmm. and I think... When people are thinking about running events, consider doing that sort of stuff where you get give people that opportunity to to connect and 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 be a bit real with each other. You know, we're we're a great mm-hmm. community in bold action, and and I think um, that makes the difference when they're not feeling like they're just being shoved from table to table to table. And oh well, I lost. I'll go home now. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, I got to talk to some great guys over lunch about what's going on in their lives. You know, jobs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the games they've played. That they. You know that. They, they lost on a bad die roll. Yeah, anything was on the, on the table. And it was just great to, to connect with people. So I think that would be the only other thing I'd say, uh, considering across just generally uh, running events, is consider uh, how you want that to be. And I know that's not always possible, um, but really think about um, how you might want to do that. Don't be frightened to mix things up a bit. Um, try it out. Uh, we, we try something different in Codswallop each year. Um, and, and I think it's important to try and keep the – the game effectively being a, a great community building, a great connection um, uh, for people. And, and that's that's what we want. So, so yeah, so I, I won't give anyone BA tactical advice because basically I'm rubbish. So <laughs> that's a good reason why I like to TO is I, I couldn't roll a dice to save my life. I think, um, you know, all of those objectives that, you know, you've stated there, Craig, I mean, they were all, you know, massively achieved with uh, Coswallop mm-hmm. this year, it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was the best event I've ever been to. Um, it was just, you know, it was random. It was pretty random that I won. Um, but, it, you know, the whole event in itself was just, just fantastic. Yeah. You know, I'm and, glad and, you and, yeah. Yeah. Man, it is so glad to, I'm so glad to hear that fun events are being run everywhere in Australia. Um, you know, across in Western Australia, we're hearing things, you know, wonderful events being run by different clubs in Sydney, different groups running different style events are happening. Obviously CanCon slash, you know, WinterCon, the, the wonderful events that are happening in Canberra, Melbourne's got a nice spread and there's a lot of talk of some great events happening next year. It's just a wonderful time to be a bolt action player in Australia. I mean, obviously I'm not even mentioning Tasmania and, um, you know, other places that are having events, um, you know, 
Brisbane, Queensland, all sorts of great stuff happening. Guys, if you are listening to this and you have not been to an event in your local area and you are in the greater Australian area, or even if you're not, take a look on the Warlord website. Take a look at uh, some of the event listings. Ask around on your local Bolt Action page, be it Australia, New Zealand, be it wherever else. Find some of those events that are happening because you can find people who are playing the game the way that you want. Uh, and the way that you like, be it competitive or casual or narrative-based or whatever else. And in, in in my case, I've made some of my best friends through these games, and it is a wonderful opportunity for you to go do that. Gentlemen, to both of you, thank you for running wonderful events this year. And I'm hoping to get to one of them next year. Uh, so please don't stop running them. I'm looking forward to uh, some more great bolt actioning happening in 2023 uh folks thank you very much for listening to cast dice it is always a pleasure to uh to talk bolt action on the show and i know there's been a lot of feedback in the last couple of weeks saying where's my bolt action well if you listen to the intro to cast dice we do say we talk about a lot of games here so yes we are going to be doing that uh quite a lot in 2023 but yes there is still going to be a ton of great content coming at you in 2023 from Bolt Action. Again, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on. And folks, thank you very much at home for listening uh, to Bolt Action on Cast Ice. We appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. As the good buddy Casey always says, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Ice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. And that track